Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to Rothy's for supporting Made for This. Fall is in the air, and what better way to welcome the season than with new shoes, like Rothy's best-selling flats, loafers, and sneakers. Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash madeforthis. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Made for This podcast. This episode is one that I have looked forward to for so long because Greg came to my church a couple months ago and he did this whole seminar on asking meaningful, deep questions to the people in our lives that don't know Jesus. And it really was kind of pivotal for me, a turning point in how I understand how I talk about God and how I talk about the gospel with the lost. And I think you guys are going to love it. I think you're going to find it helpful. Greg has so many resources out there. His radio show, his podcast talks about just even deeper dives into these topics. So make sure to get your notebook out, get ready to take some notes and enjoy this conversation with Jenny and Greg. So Greg, briefly tell us just a little bit about you, your passions, and what you do. Well, I just had my spiritual birthday um, one week and three days ago, 48 years in the Lord, almost half a century. I became a follower of Christ during the Jesus Movement in 1973 in Westwood Village while I was a student at UCLA, and that changed everything for me. Mm. And uh, I was 23 years old and uh, began to follow Christ and immediately began engaging people about the claims of Christ. And then I realized I needed to have some answers to some challenges. And my main interest, uh, Jenny, is not to be the one who makes the case in the public square, though I've spoken on more than 80 college and university campuses. And I've debated people like Deepak Chopra on uh, national TV and and atheists like Michael Shermer, etc. I do those things as a Christian and as a way of representing to other Christians a way that it could be done. Let's put it that way. Because my heart is really for the the believer and to disciple the believer. And so when we started Stand to Reason 28 years ago, um, the goal of Stand to Reason was to train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and to be able to defend classical Christianity and classical Christian values in the public square. So, uh, and do it in a nice way, <laughs> but incisively as well. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 24 years, uh, 28 years with Stand to Reason, but I was doing it before that as well. And uh, I've written some books and and uh, have, have been on the radio and now into podcasts that morphed into that form, you know, as technology developed uh, for over 30 years. And I, I just have a passion for helping followers of Christ understand the reliability of the worldview that Jesus believed. I think he got it right. And I think the smart money is on Jesus. And so I want to make that case in general to the world, but more than ever before, Jenny, to Christians who are being pummeled like crazy 
from every direction in the culture right now, as you know. So let me make a case real quick to everybody listening, because you're thinking we are on a season right now, in the middle of a season, on being a healthy person. So what do apologetics have to do with that? And I would say what what truth has to do with that is that it gives us rungs in the ladder of life that that without them it feels like we're free falling it feels like what is true and we're we're up against a culture that is saying truth is relative truth is whatever you want it to be and so being a healthy person though is grounded in truth of the gospel and understanding the Bible and what God wants for us. That's the greatest health. And because God built us, our greatest, fullest expression of health and fullness is going to be exactly who God um, made us to be, being that, and then also obeying the things that he calls us to. And so we are up against a certainly a, a cultural landscape that, like I just said, does not regard truth very highly. So talk about what you've seen in your lifetime what you've seen change in the last 30, 40 years. Let me make an observation about your introduction to that question, and that is, um, if truth is relative, there is no ladder. There is just you. That's it. Whatever you feel, whatever you like, whatever you want. And by the way, it's totally you. It is not at all someone else. So if truth is relative, that is, it is just up to me. I cannot, Im- I, I, it doesn't make any rational sense for me to impose my views on other people to say, well, you ought to believe like I believe because that presumes there is a truth outside of me. All right. An ought truth and a content truth outside of me. But in relativism, which is the impulse of our culture now, there is none of that stuff. So where, where do we get off telling people, for example, they shouldn't be racist or something like that if there is no truth? The claim that people should not be racist, which I agree with, trades on the notion that there is truth. So if there is no truth, there's no ladder. And this is why, as you pointed out, people are going to be in free fall. Another observation, the notion of health, to talk about mental health or physical health, is what philosophers call teleological. It means there's a goal in mind, all right? Mm-hmm. That when we say somebody's healthy, we mean that they are they are approximating a state in which they are supposed to be, whether mental or physical. But if there's no sposer, there's no supposed to be. Right. If there is no God, that means there is no purpose for human bodies or human psyches, if you will. So there is nothing that can define what health is. All right. And this is why you have in a psychology now, which I'm sure you're aware of, um, they don't pursue mental health as if that's some goal. Mental health is just doing what you want to do and feel good about it. So it's all about making you feel good about whatever you're doing. All right. Although they might add the caveat as long as you're not hurting anybody. But now they're smuggling in a moral obligation that doesn't belong in that system. So that's inconsistent. So the point I'm making here is just to talk about mental health, which I think people naturally understand the concept, naturally bears testimony to someone who made us Mm. for a reason. That's good. Got it. That'll preach. Yes, eternity was written in our hearts. There's something in us, and it's bigger than just a time frame of eternity. It's that heaven is written into our heart. It's that God is written into our hearts. Well, here, this I got from Francis Schaeffer, and I wrote about it in the tactics book uh, as a tactic called Inside Out. And the what Schaeffer said is, the fact is, we live in God's world. 
and we are made in the image of God. So therefore, if we deny God and his world, we end up denying something about reality. But because we are made in his image, we can't do that consistently. So somebody would say, there is no God. Okay, that's the atheist philosophy. Now let's talk about mental health. Oh, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Now you're talking like a Christian. That is, you're talking from the perspective of a Christian worldview when you say that. Or Richard Dawkins can say that uh, that th th there's no morality, there's no good, no bad, nothing but blind uh, indifference, you know, pitiless indifference or something like that, he says in one book. And then in another book, now that, by the way, that's his atheism talking. And then in another book, he's talking about the immoral God of the Old Testament. Well, wait a minute, Richard, you can't have it both ways. Either mm. you're going to be an atheist and you got no moral categories that apply only to yourself, to your relativistic evolved self, or there is a God who gives more moral categories. And then that would make sense, but you can't straddle that fence. Make mm. a choice. But see, I don't think he can, he can, he can not straddle the fence because that which is built inside of him is coming out even when he's not got his guard up. You know what I'm saying? So that's the inside out tactic. A lot of my life in ministry is spent ministering to Gen Z lately, especially. And what I'm seeing- Which one is that? I lose track. Gen Z is the newest one. Gen Z is just on the scene. They're, tw they're you know, around 23, 24 and on down. Okay. Notice, there. you know why I like Gen Z? They finally ran out of letters. Right. So what now? Now We're what stuck. now? So maybe we'll st anyway go. So go well, ahead. Well, here's why I like them: is they don't have a lot of pretense. So this idea of you know is is God real or is He not real? It's one or the other. Versus a lot of the people that have pontificated before them, which is uh, dismembered their faith or taken it apart and come to this other kind of higher revelation. Deconstructing. Of, yeah, they deconstructed, and a lot of Gen Z is just like, well. We didn't really have faith. We weren't really raised with faith. We really like God. Like, I want God. And so they're very drawn to him. I see the potential for revival in them in a way that I that I haven't in our generation and, and younger. Sure. Well, this is encouraging. And uh, But I, I do, I'm curious for your response on this, because now we're getting the content of your question. And that is the, what is the, you know, the, the nature of our culture right now has it vis-a-vis Christianity at our claims. And I'm glad to hear Gen Z seems to be like uh, yes or no. Here's something that I've heard, though, in the feedback I've gotten, and that is, well, we don't really care whether God exists or not. If he does exist and he's like your God, then he's a bad God. So it doesn't right. matter. Because right. he's not letting us do whatever we want to do is what it amounts to, simplistic. Right. And I would say this next generation got what the millennials fought for, right? Like they just got the freedom and they grew up in a dark enough culture that that they're not they're not like surprised by evil or like, oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. They kind of have had the license to, not all of them, of course, this is a very broad statement of which this generation has barely been studied. So this is my own experience with them. So what I would say, and I've raised this generation, right? I have two college students. So I've got that perspective as well as we have ministry to you know a lot of the US to this age group. I would just say that this idea of truth being relative is actually what I'm seeing in them is not as as true. It's almost like it's either there is no truth or there's truth and I'm going to obey everything in this book. Like it, it, it is funny. They're not as wishy-washy and- Well, that's and interesting. All or nothing. Well, that bodes well for disciples of Christ from this period because they're either going to be in or out and they're yeah. not going to be on the fence and they're going to be whole hog. And I, and, and I have met young people like that at our events. I 
think there's going to be a comeback in apologetics. So when I was very young, there was, you know, my parents' generation, they were all about apologetics. I would say my generation, not as much, and then millennials, not at all. And so I think there's kind of a comeback coming where they want to know what's true and they they need to know what's true. The reason I believe in them is not because most of them love God. It's because most of them don't and the ones that do genuinely do. And so to the ones that don't, when someone is an unbeliever, what would you say? And there's a lot of kids listening right now that are college age that that listen to the podcast. So what would you say to anyone really of any age that loves an unbeliever? And would you explain kind of what they have to understand to become a believer? What is what is that process and what's the very beginning? Okay. Uh, I'm going to start in an unusual way. If you want to know about Christianity and what you are thinking is, I'm going to give you an option that's going to give you what you're looking for writ broad here. Okay. And I know what that is now. It's characterized by the the, the, the saying, the slogan, you do you. It's also called expressive individualism and different people have different characterizations. But this is, I'm not doing this in a condescending way to your audience, but that we're talking to, but I am trying to be descriptive. This is a very narcissistic culture. It is deeply about us and our own feelings. Yep. So when I ask you to consider Christianity, if what you're asking yourself is, what am I going to get out of Christianity in that way? Okay, what will God do for me so I can get what I want? My response is, I have nothing to say to you. Mm. But that isn't the way the world is structured. The world isn't like that. The world is not about you. And in fact, and a lot of people haven't thought about this, even though this is their thing about me getting my way. And this plays itself out in all the sexual variations and the transgender debates and a whole bunch of other things. It's about that individual and what they feel and what they want in that moment. That is no basis for community. I think Gen Z, more than any in recent times, really cares about community. It's all about togetherness. And what? how are you going to have togetherness with a narcissistic value system at the core? Mm. It doesn't work. It works for yep. a couple of days or a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then it falls apart. And what you end up doing is silencing the people who do not agree with you. Wait a minute. I thought they're supposed to do themselves. You, I do me and you do you. No, no, no. It never works because you cannot build a community with that kind of ethic. What Christianity offers is a different understanding of reality. And I'm not just saying this is a, hey, try this and see if you like it. That's not my appeal here. When I say different, what I'm saying is that I think Jesus of Nazareth got it right. He saw the world the way it really was. And so when you walk according to Jesus and the view of the world that he had, then you are walking according to reality. So you brought up earlier health, all right? Well, health what the heck is that? If there is no truth, it means no, word means nothing. But if there is truth, if there is an optimum physical operation or say um, uh, emotional operation, uh, well, the only the only way we could know what that looks like is what we were made to do. What well, is a hand for grasping? I've got a trigger thumb here, right? so I got to go to the doctor later today because I'm not grasping so well because my on my view, my hand was made for that. It doesn't just accidentally do that. It was made for that. Are human beings made for relationships or is just something fun that we do? Uh, and on and on and on. I think we were made for things. 
that there was a God in the beginning yes. God created. Yes. We are made for things. And to your point now about health and all that, if we know what we were made for, that would be spiritual health or whether it's emotional health or physical health, and these are all tied together, then we can get on that ladder, your metaphor. Now we got a ladder of truth to be able to climb towards that goal. If right. we weren't made for anything and there is no truth, there's no ladder. All we have is you do you. And instead of truth ruling our lives, power rules our lives. Those are the two options. And that's what wow. we see happening today. Wow. Yeah, that power. We need to unpack that for a whole episode or, or a few days. I would say the thing I want you all to hear is we're not saying the latter as in performance or something like that. We're saying as in something to grab hold of, right? We're not we're not talking about measuring up in that metaphor. We're talking about um, something concrete that stops you from free falling. And and I would say that free falling existence is exhausting. And I you know, I know we don't talk about this enough, but but I really believe we're going to see a lot of people choose God if we kind of could get our act together. I mean, there's a little bit of us that the, the church right now that's either discouraged or divided or infighting. And I think this idea that keeping the main things, the main things and loving people to Christ is is the best thing that we can do for people. So let me add to that though, because I, I agree with you entirely, but I think there's a real important both and here, okay? Because okay. love love must be theologically um, grounded in the sense that it has to be grounded in the truth. So when we talk about a ladder, you're right, it's not a performance ladder. It's a way of moving towards, climbing up towards health, which is your metaphor there, and I agree with that. And so now we have a means by which we can do that. If there's no truth, there's no ladder. We are in a free fall, and we just have to make it up uh, on our own, and that has disastrous consequences because that's the way, not the way the world really is. When we get the true ladder, so to speak, we get a clear perception of truth, then we can climb, and that part of that climb entails how we engage other people in a loving fashion. But the love is not in a vacuum. Because if we get love in a vacuum, we get progressive Christianity. We get a whole bunch of things that had nothing to do with Jesus or the way he saw the world. Remember, Paul described love in 1 Corinthians 13 in this way, at least one of the characterizations, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So for us as Christians, love is not just a feeling. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just being really nice to everybody. Love is tough. It's hard. It's got edges to it. It's got substance. It draws boundaries of what's good, leaving out what's bad and compels people to do the good and not the bad because it's good for them to live the good life. Hey guys, what better way to welcome this fall season than with some new shoes? Nothing says fall like the soft plush merino wool. And for the third year in a row, Rothy's is launching an exclusive autumn collection that has washable merino wool styles. They're super comfortable and cozy and they're 100% machine washable. Ever since we have partnered with Rothy's, I'm not kidding, about once a week, I have someone at church or at my Bible study be like, Chloe, are those the Rothy's that you talk about on the podcast? I'm like, yes, I love these shoes. They are so comfortable. They feel like I'm wearing socks on my feet, but they add a little bit of pizzazz to my outfit, if you know what I mean. We have loved wearing our Rothy's. 
and we know you guys will too. And hey, any guys listening right now, we know you're out there. Rothy's shoes are not just for women. Rothy's has men's sneakers and driving loafers. Their men's line is durable, washable, and better for the planet. So they've been rigorously tested for a perfect fit, wash after wash. Pop Sugar has named Rothy's one of the most comfortable and cute flats that you'll never get tired of wearing. To help you welcome fall season in style, Rothy's is doing something special. That's right, they gave us the chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Right now, you can get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash made for this. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash made for this. Head to rothys.com slash made for this to find your new favorites today. And now back to Jenny. I think what you're saying scares people because it will be rejected. And if we stand up for truth, we've seen it modeled in a hateful way. And so what does it look like? I I would say, I wouldn't even call it, I think it comes off as hate. I think it's a fearful way. I think people are afraid and they're grasping rather than, you know, causing truth to to be, you know, best played out in individual relationships, right? Like that, that's the best way for us to, to love people and to bring truth. Cause I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think we've confused love completely in this generation. The word barely means anything anymore. (laughs) So how do we redeem that? I mean, what does it look like with conversations? I know you talk a lot about asking good questions and having great conversations with people because that really is the beginning of understanding for people. How have you seen that the, that relational conversational method work for people. Okay, well, let, let me give you a general picture. And this is the easiest way to answer it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of, watch this, grace and truth. You see, Jesus was the perfect balance. And when you read through the Gospels, which a lot of people who quote Jesus, they are not a student of, which is dangerous. <laughs> you find Jesus was 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 a man of tremendous tenderness, and and mercy and grace, but he was hard, in many ways. He was divisive. He was he was he, he man. He was he was tough, and this is why he offended people, and got himself killed. You know, um, and so when you look at the accounts, you see both of those things in place. So Jesus understood when the soft touch was necessary, when the hard touch was necessary, so to speak, the tough, tough love, so to speak. And if one wants to get a picture of that, the best thing to do is to go back to the Gospels and just watch Jesus as you read through. Now, what I've done in just for my own personal life and in my my work with others is I've written a book that has taken some of those notions and put them into play in a very practical way to make it easier for people to navigate, Christians to navigate in tough conversations with Mm non-Christians. And my promise in the book is I'm going to give you a game plan that allows you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you know, nor how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. All right. So that game plan is the tactical game plan here, but it comes from the pages of scripture. You know, Paul says in Colossians 4, he says that uh, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So be smart. Then he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So he's, he says, be smart, but be nice. What a concept, yeah. right? <laughs> what a concept. So that you know how to respond 
to each person. So Paul's recommendation there is be smart, be nice, but be tactical. Treat human beings as individuals, adapt to the circumstances. We see Jesus in John chapter three with Nicodemus, straight ahead, bang, 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 you know. Uh, but with the woman at the well, Jesus is coy. He's evasive somewhat until he finally hits her with, I who speak to you am he, I'm the Messiah. And, and, and so you see Jesus adapting to different people. But one of the keys that Jesus used, and a lot of people, it doesn't register with them, Jesus asked questions. Now, I have built a whole game plan around asking questions because I, he, Jesus did it like over 200 times in the Gospels. And uh, the, the asking question, questions in a very particular way to help us to gather information and move forward in a conversation without creating um, a hostile environment. If, if you're asking me a question, all right, here we go. You know, well, what happens is now you're interested in me. I give you answers. This is a nice conversation. Plus, you don't have a point of view you're defending when you're asking me a question. I have to make sense of my point of view. So if a Christian asks the non-Christian a question, they're not putting themselves on the line. They're in the shallow end of the pool, so to speak, and that's a safe place to be. Okay, but uh, as you as as the game plan develops, and it, you see this in Jesus too, these questions can accomplish all kinds of good, even without taking on any responsibility for yourself. And uh, and this is way I mean to to answer your broad question very simply, the way we act like Jesus and 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 be smart and be nice and be tactical is to use a certain series of questions to engage people in maneuver and conversations and then watch where the holy spirit takes it that's fantastic i watch my daughter she is 19 and she is the most brilliant question asker and relationship builder i've ever seen and she does this so beautifully and powerfully and she's garnered so much favor from people with it whether it's a barista at a coffee shop or, you know, a person on the street. I mean, she just makes friends with people and, and loves them and, and asks strategic questions and gets them talking about faith. And it, it does open all kinds of doors. And because she was so winsome and loving, they, they're open to what she says and she's young and passionate. So talk about just how we can be more curious about people and, and more interested in people's lives, because I know that's such a basic thing, but Somebody this morning was really nice to me. I was at the doctor's office and one of the nurses just talked to me about the day. They, they were so brilliantly kind that it stood out like this ray of sunshine in my day. <laughs> and I think we've kind of lost that that curiosity about people and kindness. I don't know if it's masks or just the way the divided world is set up today. Talk about how we better engage just people on the street. Right. Well, well one of the reasons I recommend questions to move forward in what you might hope would be eventually a spiritual conversation is because it's it's polite. <laughs> you know, when you ask questions, you're showing an interest in another person and that's just flattering. It's, yeah. it's plain old flattering. You're drawing them out. Plus, you get a chance to listen to what they have to say. And depending on the kind of question you're asking, you're going to get different kinds of information. So part of the question technique is to make nice with people and just make a kind of a, a sweet environment of, 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 of friendliness with people, a genuine interest in other people, drawing them out, whatever. But if we have in our mind that we want to try to have a spiritual impact in their life, we can also use the questions to move maybe a little bit towards that. There was a young lady who, it's, it, it, this account is in the book, Tactics, but uh, she was wearing a five-pointed star. She was a vendor, you know, and I went up to her and we're 
purchasing something from her. She had a five-pointed star. And I said, that jewelry, does it have spiritual significance? Now, here I am, stranger, but I'm taking interest in something she's wearing, a piece of jewelry. Well, it was flattering for her. And she began to tell me um, the spiritual sign significance of the five-pointed star, which is, in, especially in her case, a uh, an occultic symbol, a pagan symbol. And that launched us into a conversation, all right? All the details are in the book. But the key here is I use the... I used the question to probe in a friendly way and listened. And when she explained some more things about her views, it prompted more questions. And the more that I asked questions, the more I was able to learn about her spiritual point of view. Now, here's the key. Uh, at least with this first step, all I'm doing is gathering information. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to witness. I'm not trying to win anybody to Christ. It's not even on my mind. All right. I'm just trying to gather information and hopefully, as the way I put it in the book, put a stone in her shoe. I'm not trying to close the deal. I just want to get her thinking. All right. But as she's talking, I'm getting more and more information. Now, here's the key of this very simple approach. What do you mean by that? Well, that's a general question. You can use it a gazillion different ways. I asked it about her, her jewelry, is that it forces the other person to express their views more clearly. Most people who have strong opinions do not have a clear understanding of their own views. And the minute you start asking questions about their views, oftentimes they start stumbling. And the reason that people don't think through their spiritual views well is because they're not obliged to in the culture. They are told what to believe. They're socialized. You do you. And then they, off they go. And they never thought, well, what do you do about community if everybody's doing their own thing? That never occurred to them. So if somebody's explaining to me their view and they say, I'm into everybody gets to do their own thing. Now I'm going to ask a question. Really? You guys believe in community, right? Oh, we love community. How do you have community when everybody's doing their own thing? Mm. It's a fair question. You know what kind of response I'm going to get? Dead air. <laughs> I'm going to get silence because they never have thought about it. And so what my questions then, even though they're simple, and this is what I teach in the book, how to navigate with these simple questions. They keep pushing the ball in the other person's court in a friendly way, and they are asking them to explain their own view to me in a way that makes sense to me. So think of Lieutenant Columbo, because I call this the Columbo tactic. And for those who remember the famous lieutenant from 50 years ago, they just had the 50th anniversary of the launch of his TV show. He's a guy who just kind of comes in under the radar and scratching his head, and he doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper bag. But his questions guide the conversation. And that's how, one more thing, just one more thing, you know, and, and that's how he prosecutes the crime issue. And this is how we can maneuver in a conversation effectively in a gentle way, but in an incisive way, using a tactical game plan that employs questions in a very specific fashion. I love it. I love it because it's humble, right? It's it's truly puts us in a place of humility, which I think that's that's what's missing in all the conversations right now is kindness and humility. And so what does what is your hope? Like when you look out at the culture right now and you hear these words about Gen Z and you you smile and and want that, what do you want? What do you, what do you hope happens with this generation coming? Well, my response is going to sound a little bit strange. My main concern is not Gen Z or Gen X or whatever other gens there are. I can't keep track of them all. I'm an old, old one. I don't even have a letter. Um, my concern is not to win the world 
or a section of the world. My concern is with the body of Christ. All right. Now, of course, reaching the world is a Christian enterprise, but the way Jesus means to reach the world is through a process of multiplication, discipleship, the Great Commission. Yes. All right. Yep. So especially now when, as you pointed out, there's so many Christians that are so-called deconstructing their own views, their own faith, uh, their own convictions, and then a lot of deconverting, right? Just leaving. My concern is with them. My concern is with the body of Christ to understand what they are to believe if they're to be Christians and why that's sound why that reflects reality. And I know if I can solidify this group that's all shaken up in a discipleship way, they're going to have a bigger impact out there right. on the rest of Gen Z. I right. have gone on 80 university campuses to speak and everything, but it's that my main thing isn't evangelism. My main thing is discipleship, to build the body of Christ, to protect them from the world without and from the wolves within. And there are lots of wolves right now, as you know, Jenny. Well, and what I would say is what all of us need as believers is actual truth to give away, right? Like uh, we can have a heart for discipleship because I definitely believe in exactly what you're saying. We agree. I agree. We have different focuses. However, the method is the same. It is always going to be through you know, relationships and through discipleship. That's what Jesus focused on in his few years here. So we know that's, that's the method. And, and to do that method, there's things you need to know. That's not that it's complete. It's not that knowledge is the end of everything, right? We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the, you know, communal life change that comes as we confess sin and, and live with, you know, a holistic view of each other and who God is. There's a lot to discipleship, but it begins with knowledge. We have to know what it means to even have community before community can change us. We have to know what who the Holy Spirit is before the Holy Spirit is, you know, changing us. And so and I think what we're saying is the same in that knowledge matters and the practice of that knowledge is how we reach the world. And yet that knowledge has to some degree been put on a shelf and a lot of people, especially younger Christians, have not have not sought after it and fought for it and really spent time learning it. It. And I would say those of you that feel called to do ministry, there are certain things you just need to know. <laughs> you need to know them. Um, and, and, and you know, have you taken that time and done that work? What would you say? Well, well it's interesting the way you, you talked about uh, something to the effect of having taking that knowledge and putting it into action. The famous passage that, uh, that people cite about the, the nature of truth and, the, and the, uh, the power of truth is, well, they usually characterize it like this, truncated, truth sets free. That isn't what Jesus said. Now, it comes from Jesus, but there was a whole lot more. And when you realize how he put it, he meant something different. He said, if you are, if you abide in my word, which is truth, and my word abides in you, then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So the truth was narrowly construed. The truth that brings freedom was his understanding of the world and living in that. But it's interesting, it goes further because the Jews who heard this were offended. Oh, we've never been in slavery to anybody. And you say we have to, which is crazy because there was the Romans and before them were the Greeks and before them were the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians. In any event, so, uh, so Jesus said, anybody who commits sin is a slave to sin. But if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So he is connecting truth to behavior there. And the truth is grounded in what he's teaching. I think this is uh, 
John chapter 8 in what he's teaching and but it isn't just any old truth sets free it's what he teaches and the way it sets free is it gives you liberty from slavery to sin so there's your connection that you're referring to it the, it's not knowledge in the abstract it's knowledge invested in our lives that transforms our lives in the way that God wants to transform them and that is the goal for those we we speak to on behalf of Christ as well Didn't I tell you that was going to be amazing? Y'all, you need to go right now. Greg has a book called Tactics. Um, that is awesome. It's a little short read. You can find that anywhere books are sold, and I will put the link in the show notes. But if you want to connect with Greg, learn more about his ministry. It's called Stand to Reason. It's str.org, and I'll also put that in the show notes so you can connect with him. And we just love that you have joined us this week. We hope it's helpful. And we will see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. 
All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.